Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Aaron is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Aaron Peterson. Hi there, and welcome back to Big Fish in the Talent Pool, Episode 10. You're going to love today's guest. Vera Stamenkovic is the Head of Talent Acquisition and HR Shared Services at Aero Electronics in Denver, Colorado. If you know anything about Aero, then you know they are large. They're actually a Fortune 113 company. They're global, they're very agile, and they are everywhere. In everything from technologies and products that you use every day, to services, solutions, and consultation, making their recruiting needs a very interesting challenge for Vera and her team. In the six years that she's been with Aero, Vera has demonstrated her own agility as her role has morphed to simultaneously oversee global recruiting and Aero's HR shared services function. She'll tell us more about how that duality emerged and what she brought to Aero that uniquely qualified her for this interesting role. Vera is so much fun as a leader and as a person, and I know you'll enjoy her candid style. So here she is, Vera Stamankovich of Aero Electronics. Enjoy. How come I don't know more about Aero Electronics, and yet I touch it eight times before my morning coffee? Is that the phrase? Yeah, I would say that your experience isn't that different from most people in terms of Arrow being a bit of an unknown, particularly in the HR space. Part of that's because we're a B2B, and I think B2B companies tend to be not as well known. Um, in the electronic space, I would say we're, we're very well known. There is uh, virtually nothing that we don't touch some way, somehow, and we refer to it from, as from sensor to sunset. So our, our electronic our services, our solutions, our cons consultation really touches everything in electronics from sensor to sunset. I love that. Sensor yeah, to sunset. Too. But let's focus first of all on your role, especially the scope of your role. Tell, tell me more about what it encompasses. I have a position that's kind of split in two. Uh, one part of the position is my role as the global head of recruiting for Aero Electronics. And then I also have responsibility for the global HR shared services function. So I would say I spend approximately 50% in each space. It could vary depending on what's going on in each space. Currently, there's a lot going on, both in terms of shared services as well as recruiting. So it's keeping me busy, um, and both are very demanding, but in an exciting way for us right now. No doubt. And uh, how did that come to be, the fact that that role is it's a little bit of an interesting hybrid? Well, I just, I think from the perspective of um, our executive leadership team, our senior leadership team in HR, we really make an effort to leverage the the talent that's on that leadership team in very innovative ways. So my boss, Gretchen Zach, often refers to that as us being fungible. Mm -hmm. And so when the need arises that she and we can plug and play in ways that we wouldn't necessarily expect to. When I joined Aero approximately six years ago, I was a generalist. 
I supported certain clients as a vice president, and here I am now going into my sixth year, and I'm doing a role that is completely, virtually the opposite of what I started. Um, I would have maybe at the time said, no way, but now that I'm in it, I'm just so excited, given the length of my career, to be having the kind of experience I'm having at Arrow. The newness, the innovation, the constant change, personally and professionally. Wow. That's super interesting. So you're saying if this role that you're in today had been offered to you before you had joined, it wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense. But the way it's evolved, it's, you're saying, one of the most interesting positions you've had in yeah. your career. You said it better than I did. After undergraduate, I got a little more focused on what I wanted to do and how I wanted to invest in my career. So we can talk then about you know where I went, and that was the Loyola degree at that point in time, after I'd been working for a while. Yeah, it kind of looked like you continued to work while you got your master's. Is that true? And that, uh, in OD? Yeah, so I, had, uh, I was in HR doing a variety of things. I got exposure to a number of different HR disciplines early in my career, compensation, benefits, recruiting, employee relations, really the whole range of experiences. Back then, um, it was less common for the, for the HR discipline to have specialists, so you more often found people doing a variety of things and doing it at a fairly deep and broad scope. Mm -hmm. I mean, benefits enrollment back in the day was something that we did, which is entirely outsourced now, as we know, especially in the US. So over, over time, um, moving from job to job, I found myself really interested in changing and evolving dynamics. And I ended up working for an organization called CNA Insurance. And when I started there almost immediately, we acquired an equal size company in the, in the insurance space. So suddenly the environment became highly chaotic, highly, um, in some ways agitated, um, highly uh, convoluted because now we had these two companies joining together and for some reason I was fascinated by it. So I just kind of followed my intuition and started exploring OD programs which which I thought would provide me with some structured learning around how to navigate change in organizations. How did you figure that out, though? If you didn't have any exposure to it before, did you have a mentor or someone who kind of showed you the way that OD was an actual discipline? I don't think it really was at the time. I'm going to say it's all me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Yeah, I'm going to say that um, I been in HR long enough by then to be able to at that point in time discern for myself how the disciplines with HR kind of were demarcated and what pieces in the environment that I was part of I didn't quite grasp in terms of just being smart about it and it seemed to me to be there is this whole discipline about how you manage change and just doing some research, you come to understand that that's really sort of this organizational development thing, which is essentially organizations develop over time, hence are involved in change. And there's some certain things that you can do to help facilitate that 
so that it's more successful. I don't know. I was just fascinated. Well, I took a couple classes and I just fell in love. Okay. And you continue to be fascinated because you then went to R.R. Donnelly and had an HR transformation role. Uh, U of I, University of Illinois, HR transformation and org effectiveness, United Airlines. Then th that was really more of a frontline HR generalist role. Am I right? E you know, employee relations, labor relations, training comp. It was. But it was post-bankruptcy. Uh, for United. Oh, yeah. So there was quite a bit, again, of changes going on there. Right. Um, it was almost as if the organization in some fundamental ways was restarting and uh, fascinating environment to be part of. Right. Then you came to Arrow from United Airlines, is that right? So if so, before we get into more about Arrow, which is the main focus, uh, I'd just love to know which of those experiences prior to Arrow for you was the most formative? Wow, that's a great question. I was fairly sure about my choices throughout my career. Um, I was fairly accurate about each choice informing me in a way that led, led my career in a positive way forth. There was one situation that I decided to embark on and it was just completely out of the box and that was the University of Illinois um, assignment. And intuitively, I felt like I could take all of my corporate experience and bring it to an environment and modernize the HR function yeah. in a sort of a nonprofit sort of educational situation for a school located in the center of Chicago with lots of business influence going on around it. And my husband and I got into big fights about this choice <laughs> because I had another choice at the time. Oh, wow. And he kept saying to me, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And yeah. I was like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, and I did it. And um, learned a lot about myself and how painful that can be yeah. when you're when you're a fish out of water. Why was it painful? This is actually really helpful for I think a lot of people to hear. They're not the only ones who have walked into a role that maybe was more than they thought. Yeah, I think, and it probably works well in the um, in the educational spaces that they're slow to move. They're slower, particularly I think. Um, schools like the University of Illinois that have public support, um, they just they just move slower. It's it's highly bureaucratic and um, the stakeholdering is beyond what anyone could possibly imagine. I think we know that we stakeholder pretty effectively in organizations and we try to be thorough. I think in those environments the stakeholdering is is on steroids. You know it is something that is so important and it and it takes time and for me um, while I believe that transformation is a multi-year journey, you do need to have momentum associated with it to keep that going. And I just felt like the momentum kept getting slowed down by just the, the complexity, the, the lack of sponsorship at the end of the day, truly at the end of the day, when, it, when the rubber hit the road, the fact that we didn't have the sponsorship we thought we had, or they changed their minds, because I think in academia they can do that pretty often. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I remember just there were nights 
yeah what keeps me up at night there were nights where i was like oh my goodness what did i do but a really important learning for me i think from a career standpoint too and i think this is not necessarily i don't endorse it but i would say to people who are growing their careers when you make a decision like that be very very conscious that getting back into corporate america could be more difficult than you think really yeah why is that I think it's because it is easier for companies to choose people who didn't step out of the mm -hmm. traditional path yeah. um, than to take a chance on somebody who took a chance to do something innovative. Right. So I was fortunate that United viewed my stint at the university in a positive way and what I could bring. but. I would say in general there there might be a bias against that that said do what you think is important for your career take some chances what you learned from that is is critical but be well networked don't lose your network because when, if and when you want to go back it's your network that's going to be that's going to help you well and I think it's super interesting that the answer to my question of what was most formative, you, your brain directly went to something that was very difficult. And it sounds like ended up for you not feeling like a success. Is that right? Maybe not feeling like uh, the best career choice at the time. But I would also say that from a resume building perspective, there were few people that I would consider peers that did what I did there that actually took the collection of experiences and knowledge that I had and led a transformation initiative with a multi-million dollar budget and across several different campuses. At the time, the University of Illinois, I think, was in the top 10 employers in the state. So there's a lot of things about it that are very compelling. Mm -hmm make sure that you that when you're making your choice all of those things are in place right because it would be different than if I was doing it for ABC University somewhere right. remote and nobody knew about so um, so I it wasn't a mistake entirely because I do think it gave me something else in my toolkit what I learned from it was the painful reality that I just move at a different pace well, that's a valuable learning. Yeah. And uh, I, I wonder, too, if part of the learning was the power of an internal network. Because I think when uh, those of us who make a move from one company to another or from not-for-profit to for-profit or, you know, in this case, public uh, organization, there are people there that already have deeply rooted networks with each other and they know how to get stuff done and when you come in as a new person it can often be sort of the hardest thing ever to get stuff done in an organization that already has well-established relationships am i right maybe relationships is a better word than network it's relationships i think it's both i do think it's both um i do think especially in those environments there isn't a lot of process orientation so it's sort of the knowledge that you have on how things work yes. versus it being somewhere properly documented and anyone could have access and kind of figure out the ropes quicker so yes. you're right okay interesting well thank you for that story that's uh super valuable and not at all out of the ordinary honestly i mean those of us who've been working long enough have stories about times that we just learned through a few bumps <laughs> And uh, battle scars, I call it. We, you know, you come out with battle scars, and hopefully it makes you smarter and tougher and leaner and you know, just better at what you do, able to anticipate things. And then you bring that to the next 
Absolutely. location. So how many times have you moved physically for, for your job? Just the one time. Okay. To, to, Denver, to Denver for Arrow. Yes, for Arrow. How, what was that decision like for you? Uh, relatively easy, honestly. I think it's Denver. Yeah. Like, who doesn't want to live in Denver? Um, it was the company. It was the people I interviewed with here. It was the time in my life for my husband and I. And it just all kind of came together. And it wasn't a difficult decision. What I did reflect on afterwards was regretting not having done it sooner. Oh, wow. Interesting. Not having moved or not having moved to Denver not or both? moved. Okay. Yeah. So when I talk to people starting out in their career, I encourage them to seek those opportunities out to actually physically move to another place because there is so much learning in that experience that can't be replicated it is its own kind of unique learning for you as a person and as a professional that if I went back if I if I were to do it over again I would have done it earlier and more frequently and uh, is it also part of the adaptability quotient that we are hearing about these days? Did you, what, I mean, what do you think moving does for you that not moving doesn't do for you? I do think you're right. It is that adaptability. It's just there is something innate about what it does to you as a person and a human being that just it makes you more open is the best way yeah. I can describe it. I would agree. Yeah, Maybe so a little more compassionate, a little more self-aware, all that across the board. So I would say to people, find the opportunity, get out of your comfort zone, um, go, go to those places, have the experience, and then do it again. Love it. Can you talk about your decision to insource? Yeah. So I picked up the recruiting function approximately two years ago. And uh, there's more history here than just the last few years. I've got to interject something to provide a little more context. And that is that at Arrow, we used to be organized as a company that essentially business units were, were, were receiving types of services from HR that weren't consistent across business units. It was sort of like what they could afford. Got it. And so there were people who had a lot and, and business units that didn't have very much. So it was, a, it was a very kind of, I know, it was a very kind of inconsistent experience. And I guess it worked. I mean, I, I can't weigh in because I wasn't part of the environment at the time, but it didn't work for the future. Because as Arrow grows, as Arrow evolves, as we, as the pressures continue to build around our competitiveness as a business, we've just got to do things differently, smarter. So, but around the time that I inherited the recruiting function, we had gone from recruiting services to businesses based on what they could afford to a model where we had kind of level set across all businesses and it took a lot for us right because we had to collect a bunch of information about cost and spend and resources and we had to spread it and so some businesses were getting more than they used to get some businesses were getting less than they used to get and the best way we thought we could do that was to bring in an RPO partner that could help us kind of level set organizationally kind of create a more universal experience we didn't the recruiting team we had prior to that again if you think about it was we could have had we have a components business it's the largest business they could have had five recruiters and our newer business Tech could have had none 
right? So we were really, we went from, it was night and day sort of, but we kind of felt like we needed to do that. We kind of felt like that we needed to reset in a very major way so that we could get the organization used to a very different kind of model. That helped me. Honestly, that helped me. Um, And so we we went with the RPO model for a couple of years. Um, and, And I think it was instrumental for us in terms of a learning and a stepping stone to making a decision about what is more optimal for Arrow. I like the word instrumental. <laughs> um, but it was an interim strategy, not a long-term strategy. Is that what I'm understanding? Not by intention, but that's the way it played out for us. So by the time I, I picked up the recruiting function, we had this RPO. And um, so I had to kind of look at it and say, for the next evolution of Arrow Inc. as a company, and for the next evolution of Aero HR as a as a function within the Aero Inc. business that is evolving, how do we need to prepare recruiting for the future? So lucky me. Yeah. I mean, I got to kind of work with a what's the future picture? What where do where where do we need to go from here? Okay, interesting. And so now you're to the stage where you have formulated the future. So where are you at in that journey? So what we discovered, what, what we sort of grappled with was, is the recruiting function for Arrow one size fits all? And that's what the RPO was providing to us, is the one size fits all. And we quickly concluded, no, it is not. So we went to a recruiting model that, uh, that was invested in certain disciplines of recruiting based on the needs of the organization. So like you see sometimes in um, search opportunities, we decided to go search firms. We decided to go with establishing practice expertise, practice leads within segments of recruiting that are important to Arrow. So we have professional recruiting, we've got technical recruiting, which you can imagine at Arrow is very, very important, different than professional recruiting. They're two different worlds. How you approach it is very different. We have a large um, distribution population, so there's a light industrial uh, expertise. Um, We have sales, which is kind of the core of Arrow, so we decided to invest in a sales practice area. So we've gone from one size fits all, not particularly satisfying anybody, to really being more deliberate about segmenting our talent acquisition strategy and organizing around those segments, and we're now doing that globally. So you really have a team of specialists that are dedicated to each one of your customer, internal customers, but customers nonetheless, uh, areas, and they are becoming deep experts on hiring for those customers. Correct. That's exactly right. That's hard. If you were advising up here in another company, what would you say are the watchouts? To go from where we were to where, where we're going, um, lots of stakeholder management, tremendous amount of stakeholder management, managing the relationship with the exiting RPO, which you know we want to honor. We wanted to honor that relationship while we were making a decision that wasn't in their best interest, obviously. Um, managing stakeholders who ran out of patience with whatever was going on and trying to ask them, getting them to invest in more time with us so that we could get to a new place. 
um, honestly, stakeholdering within the HR function because we need, for example, our generalist team that has the most interaction with clients on a daily basis, we needed for them to be our sponsors mm -hmm. and we needed for them to speak on behalf of us in a way that was encouraging towards the new model. So it was a lot of stakeholder management. So it was changing the tire while the car's moving or whatever right. that phrase sure. is. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. feels good to be on the other side yeah and uh, proud, like ver feeling very proud of how much we've done in a short time. But looking back, yeah. you really gotta be up for it. <laughs> you, <laughs> you really, you really do. I like it, a lot of energy, it sounds like. Yeah. A lot of energy invested. But now the anecdotal evidence is coming back and the noise is down and the customers are happier. They're, they're getting more happy over time. I try to pulse leaders here in Denver in particular when I see them, leaders that I know that were dissatisfied in the past. And so if I run into them, I'll just ask them a question, a quick question, how's it going? Is it different? And you know, it's so satisfying when you're on the elevator with a leader who maybe six to eight months ago was, you know, was very dissatisfied. And this person says to me, it's night and day. Wow. And you couldn't ask for more. Right. Yeah, and it, you know, recruiting is funny in that way because it's one of those things in my experience where people think, and I've often thought this myself, how hard can it be, <laughs> right? You understand what the needs are, you go find talent, you assess them, you bring them in, you get them started, done, right? It's why, why is it so much harder than that? Have you put your finger on it yet? You know what, Erin, sometimes I wonder if we make it harder than it is. <laughs> yeah, really, I have hired a brilliant uh, director for America's Recruiting, and I remember interviewing him, and he would say to me, it's not that hard, Vera. Mm -hmm. And of course, I was scratching my head, like, why, why is it so hard that? Right. If it's not that hard, why does it feel so hard? And he said, it's just, it's not that hard if you've got the right structure, if you've got the right people. Right. Um, if you've got the right disciplines in terms of holding yourselves accountable for service standards and all those kinds of things, the, the activity of recruiting isn't that hard. Now, is the talent market difficult right now? You bet. But it's it's more of a challenge if you're in, in in your house inside isn't set up right right that's right so now you've just got the normal challenges now we've got, but you're you're set up to you deal with call it the normal yeah. I think it's abnormal right now in <laughs> right. terms of the yes. external challenges but right. Yeah. right so we can focus externally right jobs numbers came out again today and again it's through the roof two hundred thirteen thousand right in the month of June I think were created yikes. So there you go. So the challenges continue. Let's change tack a little bit. I know you and your team have experimented with some interesting new technologies in recruiting. Do you have a favorite that you're experimenting with, that you're thinking is going to make a difference for you in terms of the happiness factor of your customers? We're always thinking about kind of what's the next frontier for us. With that, we sort of we sort of try to get level set in the fact that we've got an ATS that can do much more that we haven't even fully leveraged. So I would say to the listeners that really really understand your ATS 
and make sure that you're taking advantage of every possible feature and functionality that is available to you because from what I've seen around Workday anyway, Workday Recruiting, there's a lot more there than we're even using at this point in time. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm less inclined to jump too quickly to the next sexy thing and there's a lot of sexy stuff. I'm more inclined to say um, across the globe, for example, we have countries that require employment contracts. Today we are managing those employment contracts manually. Why are we not using Workday Recruiting to capture, to get signatures, to maintain employment contracts within our Workday system? And so we're having a conversation with Workday here coming up soon mm -hmm. to understand what their other global clients are doing around the collection and the maintenance of employment contracts. And I'm sure it's been done. No doubt, yeah. And yet that piece of work requires so much time and effort. And if you think about files sitting somewhere in paper format, we've got to get those digitized and we've got to get them we've got to get them managed differently in the future, not just arrow everybody. Right. It's interesting you mentioned the ATS because every talent leader I talk to these days is looking more closely at their own database that has been populated through years and years of advertising and candidates who have applied. And that seems to be a bit the holy grail. Like what are we doing with those candidates we already know? Furthermore, uh, Workday, one of the most interesting functionalities I've seen about that is its ability to l connect opportunities with existing employees and make recommendations, a sort of a, a sort of an internal ecosystem. Genius. Right? Genius. So uh, it, it, is that kind of what you're thinking is let's take advantage of all that before we go buy a bolt-on? Yeah, I think the recruiting teams in the future in organizations need to believe and act as if they own workday recruiting. This isn't a system that sits with your HRIS team. This is a system that you have responsibility for. It's incumbent on you to make sure that you understand the full functionality today and what's coming and be part of that conversation for the future. Sit with Workday and say, this is what we want. I love it. All right, well, thank you for that great answer. Really interesting that it's not AI, yet or video interviewing or any of those at least not at this point it's let's not focus on me. what we have not for me um and maybe i'm just slow to catch on to those other things at this point in time but i just i don't think we're i don't think we're doing enough with what we've got already right so vera what advice would you give to a young ambitious future talent leader and uh you know we've talked about some of your learnings already but i just love to know if you're mentoring someone what what are you telling them about what to be thinking about regarding their career or the future of talent or what, you know, what comes to mind for you? It's interesting because I had a one-on-one -on -one with one of our summer interns today and that person is at the very, very beginning of their HR career and is interested in recruiting. So I just came off a conversation on this very question today and this individual said to me, what's your advice for someone like me who wants to invest in the recruiting career? And my reaction, honestly, to her was start at the bottom get into an entry-level position, learn it completely fully, because you will always benefit from understanding how it really works. Mm -hmm. And I have been a recruiter in my career, but not full-time. I'm lucky now that I am the leader of recruiting globally, which I still scratch my head sometimes going, <laughs> what? Uh, but I am lucky 
that I understood it from the grassroots. I am lucky that I did the work that now I am leading other people doing and there is no, there's no substitute for that. So really invest, start at the bottom. And, and you know what, that's a bad word, right? Because it isn't at the bottom. Start with the fundamentals. It is so important to your future career success get a good mentor help them help you see beyond what your job is today what could be next for you raise your hand for projects i yes. said to this woman today if you're serious about your career and i i still believe this is true no matter what right people who are serious about their careers don't think of their jobs as nine to five right so and every everyone has a choice yes and for everybody it's different work-life balance whatever you want to choose but yeah. I think fundamentally if you are serious about career success you have to just grapple with the fact that it's not a nine-to-five thing and so when you're at work you have to constantly be raising your hand because you want exposure to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing right. but learn the basics embrace that part of your job um, and don't don't be too quick to skip steps my opinion and be open to a move it sounds like as you're from earlier yes especially to Denver for those of you who are interested in Denver and Arrow (laughs) what a great ending thank you so so much this was an absolute pleasure thank you Aaron appreciate it I just love hearing from industry leaders who not only provide solid advice on taking calculated career risks but who do it themselves Whether it's changing career paths from corporate to academia or moving from one city to another, Vera demonstrates what it takes to adapt and grow. What a great example for all of those aspiring leaders out there. TA friends, I recommend you take a page out of Vera's book and consider moving for the right opportunity. I've actually done it four times for my career and even internationally and never regretted it once. Well, that's about all the time we have. We appreciate our listeners so much, and we really hope this podcast is an encouragement to you in your own journey to make a difference for others in the talent space. It's a privilege to do what we do in TA, and I hope my conversations with leaders make you even more excited about it. And if they do, please do us the favor of rating and reviewing our content. It will help other talent professionals find us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Big Fish in the Talent Pool. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.